Okay, um, let's just start with prayer. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this church, Lord, this ministry, Lord, that we have purpose of God just to put out the bread, the word of God, that people could commune with God and that could, people could be delivered from the power of Satan and be renewed in their calling. And we just pray, Lord, that you would bless this time together in Jesus' name and the planning meeting to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, what I'd like to do is, is because I don't like to start something and not finish it, so I do want to finish the subject, the fruits of the Spirit. And so in Galatians 5, verse 22, I, I left my Bible and everything at home, um, so I'm just going to have to preach from my digital Bible. As Pastor Kyle calls it, I, I don't have my paper Bible, so... Uh, Galatians 5, verse 22 through 23. Can someone read that for me? Galatians 22 uh, and 23. Yeah. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I like how that ends that way. Have you noticed the last few words there, against such there is no law? Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about that, why that is in there? Because what's the law for? The law is for what? The law points out your strength. It points out for the flesh, yeah. The law is for the flesh. The works of the flesh uh, has a law to it. And that law is this do and you shall live. This is how the poem goes. Do this and thou shalt live. But... The law says, do this and you shall live, but neither gives us feet nor hands. A better word the gospel brings that bids us fly and gives us wings. I don't know who that's by, but I like that little phrase that the law um, is uh, for the flesh, but there is no law in the spirit, meaning that when we walk in the spirit and we're bearing fruit, there is no law. We're not under the law at that moment. And that's really beautiful. That's a great thought, but... Um, when we're filled with the Spirit uh, and we surrender, uh, that yielding leads to fruit. And, um, you know, whenever we are faced with a crossroads in our thinking and in our decision-making, we have a decision to make. Am I going to be filled with the Spirit right now voluntarily and ask God for His spiritual guidance, or am I going to just make my own call in an impulsive way based on the way I feel. I heard a young Democratic um, strategist on the news the other day, and she just she was talking about the scandal with Hillary Clinton's emails and you know all the, all those things. And there was a discussion about this, and the Democratic strategist said, you know, people are not going to be voting uh, this coming election year based on right and wrong. They're going, to be, they're going to be voting based on what they feel what they feel is right. And that really just, for me, was like just, a, just an eye-opener. Like, this is the way young liberal minds think, is that it's not based on what they, what is right and what is wrong. It's not based on what God says or what the Bible says, but it's based on the way people feel. And, hey, how you doing? Come on up. And so this is the, what we're facing with today. We're facing the, this kind of 
mentality, which is a mentality of, um, there's two chairs right here. Come on up and join us if you'd like. And so the mentality today that we are dealing with is not based on what is right and what is wrong, but based on what people feel is right. So that means that somebody could have like a very winning personality, but be very deceptive. And if somebody doesn't have any sense of discernment or understanding of biblical wisdom, then they're going to be deceived. And that's what's happening in the world today. So um, I was just saying how like um, I was listening to a interview the other day um, uh, and a young Democratic strategist or analyst came on the news and just basically said that um, in regards to Hillary's uh, email scandals that um, a, a conservative Republic, Republican interviewer <laughs> said, is this going to be an issue for Hillary getting you know, the nomination for the Democratic Party? And uh, this young Democratic analyst said, no, because people, young liberals are not thinking that way. They're not thinking about what is right and what is wrong. They're thinking what feels right. Right. And and that's the way that's the way I'm not going to talk about politics, but that's the way Bill Clinton was. He was this guy. He was a guy that made everybody feel good, and he had a really nice personality. And and so um, uh, the point being here is is that um, when we're filled with the Spirit, we have discernment. Okay, and um, um, and so here's something that I want to just make clear that. The fruit of the Spirit is not behavioral modification. Whenever we hear the typical message on the fruits of the Spirit, we all get condemned, easily condemned, because, you know, love, joy, peace. Well, I'm not always loving, and I'm not always joyful, I'm not always peaceful, and I'm not always gentle, and I'm always temperate, etc., etc. And so whenever we think in that way, we're thinking outside of being filled with the Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit is not something that we have to achieve. Okay, um, the religious mafia today will tell you that you have to achieve the fruits of the Spirit. But the fruits of the Spirit, and I keep repeating this, but it's so important to remember, the fruit of the Spirit is something that just flows when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And being filled with the Holy Spirit is not some mystical experience. It's just basically I voluntarily surrender my life and my thinking process and my actions to the leading of the Holy Spirit. What does God want me to do? What, what does the Bible say for me to do? And so when we do that, uh, we're filled with the Spirit. But the fruits of the, some, the fruit of the Spirit is something that we receive because of Jesus Christ's hard work for us on the cross. It's not our hard work that, that brings us the fruit, but it's really the hard work of Jesus Christ that was accomplished at the cross. And so thinking about that, I just want to go through quickly the fruits of the Spirit from a finished work perspective. Now, in Greater Grace and, and other churches like ours, like other ministries like ours, you're going to hear what we call a finished work perspective, which means everything is based on a finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, a lot of ins- religious institutions whose main purpose is to collect money and to put guilt trips on people, I'm sorry for the graphic explanation, but many religious organizations today do two things. They collect money uh, and they, um, they put trips on people that Jesus Christ never put on people. But you're not going to hear a finished work perspective on, uh, on, on, on some churches today. And I'm not saying that we're better than other people, but I'm just saying that 
the message of the New Testament really is the finished work. And so we talked about the first three, didn't we? We talked about love, joy, peace, right? And love, joy, peace, this is the first category of fruits. And remember what the first category of the fruits were? Remember what we called them? There was three categories of fruits. First category was... They were... We used one word for it, which is true, yeah. But there are three categories. There are nine fruits, and these nine fruits are separated into three categories. The first category was inward. They were inward category. They were inward fruits, meaning that love, which is God's unconditional love, unmerited favor, I mean unmerited love, in Romans 5, 8, and Ephesians 2, 4, transforms us. Ephesians, uh, Romans 5, 5. The love of God transforms us. And we're always going to be learning depths of God's love. And that's never going to end. We're going to continually discover Two things we're going to continually discover in our lives as human beings. Number one, how bad we are, how limited we are, and how full of lack of faith we are. And then number two, we're going to discover God's unconditional, unfailing love towards us. And that's the first inner fruit. That's the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, love. The second one is joy. And you know what the difference between joy and happiness is? If you read our American Constitution, our, U, our U.S. Constitution, not the American, but the U.S. Constitution, what does it say that the purpose of the American way is? What is that? Pursuit. The pursuit of happiness and liberty. And life and liberty and justice for all, right? What's that word in that, that big word, happiness, right? Well, happiness and joy are two different words. And I, I don't want to, I'm not criticizing the writers of the Constitution, but I'm just saying that, that spiritual, our, the spiritual Constitution in the, for the believer is, is that uh, joy is much deeper than happiness. Happiness based, is based on that word that we know uh, in the English language is happen or happenings, meaning that I'm happy when there are certain things that are happening in my life, right? It's the same root word, happen or hap. And our happiness as a Christian goes deeper than what's happening in my life. Life may not be going very great for me right now. Actually, it may be really stinky. <laughs> but I may have joy because I have joy that's deeper than happiness. Happiness is what? It's emotional, right? And there are moments of happiness that we experience, and they're great. When I'm experiencing happiness, I'm really happy. You know, I mean, it's a great blessing. But when times are not going well, then, then we dig deeper. We go into the cellar, we dig deeper into the foundation, and we find joy. Joy is that. And joy is not emotionally based. I actually may be very somber, very serious, kind of quiet maybe. Uh, maybe not saying praise the Lord brother or sister all the time. Maybe I'm just not saying much. But I'm just quietly in my heart joyful. Meaning that Meaning that I have this inner joy that everything's okay, you know? And, and this joy is something that is making me lighthearted. And it allows me to be light in heavy circumstances. Because life gets heavy, doesn't it? Life gets heavy. We deal with situations that are very heavy. We hear about things. Maybe we hear about friends or people that we really love that fail. 
and that could be very heavy. Do you ever have someone that you really love and they've made huge mistakes in their life and it's a very embarrassing situation for them and it gets very heavy? Well, maybe we don't have a lot of happiness in that moment, but we can have a quiet joy uh, that even though the circumstances are bad, joy gives me a lightheartedness that maybe I'm not cracking jokes, but I'm not under this gloom and doom and pessimism that maybe everybody else is under. And so that's joy. And really the word joy uh, in the Greek is, from the, is, the word for, is the word kara, or C-H-A-R-A. And what word does that, do you know what word that is related to? Charisma. Yeah, but what is charisma? But what is that? What is the root word of charisma or kara? It's charis, which is what? Grace. It's the name of our Bible school, Karis Bible Institute, Grace Bible Institute, Karis. So joy comes because of grace, meaning that, you know what, times are heavy, but God's going to bless me in a way that I don't deserve. And that's really great. That, that's the way our Christianity has to be. And then number three, the third one is Irene, or Irene, which we get the word, the woman's name, Irene, from. And it means peace. And it's peace not because of the lack of trouble, or the lack of difficulty, but it's a peace because of Romans 5, verse 1, that we have peace with God, you know? Um, peace with God. And it's both peace in the mind and also a very practical peace, meaning that I have confidence in my life. Like when I'm in trouble inside of my soul, when we get in trouble and we get turmoil in our soul, and that is a difficult moment, uh, and the devil wants to steal our peace, the devil can't take your salvation, so he's going to try to take your fruit. He's going to try to take your love. He's going to try to take your joy, and he's going to try to take your peace. And the peace of God is something that, what is that based on? You know, like, you ever have a relationship with somebody, and you kind of don't know where it is, and you're like, you walk in, and you say, hey, are we good? <laughs> you know, are we at peace here? And we never have to ask that question with God, because it's always okay on the positional level with God because of the finished work. And we have peace with God. A great example of that is when the disciples were in the upper room, remember? When they all failed, they all fled Jesus at the cross. They all just ran away. And I think we would have run away too. There's none of us at this table would have, that would have stayed at the cross. I don't think any of us would have. Um, and they all jetted. And they were all kind of guilty. They're all sitting in the upper room just kind of musing and mulling over their failure and their, you know, and they were very, maybe feeling very guilty about the whole situation, very heavy. Jesus walks into the room and what's the first thing that Jesus says to the disciples? He says, peace, peace to you. And Jesus said, I want to tell you right from the beginning before there's any, any other conversation here that we're, we're all, it's all good, that sin is paid for and that there's, between, there's peace between God and man. That's really, that's great news. And those three fruits, unconditional love, a joy that passes, uh, joy that passes an understanding and circumstances, and a peace that passes understanding. These are three solid fruits that are inner fruits in our life that, that, um, that we can study and think about. Um, Peace of God is not something that comes because I'm ignoring a situation or I'm living in denial. Because when we live in denial about something and we're not, we're not dealing with something with, from the perspective of God, then the result is a lack of peace. And maybe I'm ignoring the situation or 
denying the situation. I'm just kind of trying to go my happy way. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out of the closet and it's going to bite me at some point. Because we cannot fake the peace of God. And so we have to reconcile every problem and every situation with the will of God. Like we said this morning, the purpose of God in, in Ephesians 1 verse 11, that in every circumstance, God has a purpose for that. And there's no random events in our life. And so those are the first three, um, first three fruits. The, se- the second three, which are, the first three are inward fruits. The second one, the second three are outward fruits. And this is patience, kindness, and goodness. Okay? Outward fruits. And um, actually, some commentators have this reversed. They call these inward fruits, but I call them outward fruits because they all deal with our interpersonal relationships. Okay, patience, for example. Patience. And patience basically is the Greek word makrothrumia, which means the quality of dealing with other people. When we're severely tried by people's personalities and by people's failures or their shortcomings. All right, macrothumia, you know, patience. And one, one great man of God said that the greatest mystery of God, the greatest aspect of the nature of God is his patience, why God is, why God is so patient. And this is patience. This is the way we deal with other people. And really, without having the first three fruits abiding in us, then patience is not going to be easy. And if I'm struggling with patience, then it's okay. I need to go back to the roots issue. The root issue is, is not that I'm not a patient person. The, the root issue is, is that, okay, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of patience. And, you know, some things in our life are going to take years to learn. It's, gonna, it's just going to take years. It's going to take all of our life. And that's why life can be so long, is that God is working things into our life. And so patience really... You know, to learn patience means that I just look at the patience of God in my life. Look how patient God has been with my unbelief, and my failures, and my my sin, and my my uh, my quitting, and my failures. God has been so patient in the way God deals with us. You know, I was I was in a situation this past weekend where I was going to be meeting with some people that decided not to fellowship with us anymore like not here in this area but in another city and they just decided like you know we're not going to fellowship with you anymore because of you know uh, certain things that have happened 10 15 years ago we're not going to fellowship and they, they hadn't been in com- they hadn't been in communication with us and we hadn't been really in communication with them for about 10 or 15 years and i just saw you know there's there's two ways we can deal with this you know um, they were not speaking evil about us, my, my wife and I, and we weren't speaking evil about them. And I, I thought, well, why not reconcile? Why not reach out to these people and just say, hey, look, you know, here we are. You know, and so we just showed up. We just one day just showed up, and, and to our amazement, they were so blessed to see us. Because sometimes some people can't take the first step. They just, they're locked in their concept of something, and they're not able to take the first step. And so we as peacemakers can do that. And so, and I was thinking about that as we were in this situation, and my wife and I were actually doing something, and we were in that area for a different purpose. But you know, God spoke to me that night, and he said, I want you guys to go and meet these people. And I was like, oh, I haven't seen them for 10 years, 
I don't know if I'm really into that. But it was so strong in my heart that I go and see them. And so we did it. And you know what, come to find out, a really amazing thing is, unbeknownst to me, a week beforehand, our pastor in Baltimore had gone and met with them and spent like a half hour in person with them. And I even know that. And when I met this person, that person didn't even say something to me. And so God was already in a work of reconciliation that I didn't know about. And so when I got back home and I called up Pastor Schaller, he said, oh, you know, I just met with him last week. And I was like, wow, that's like, that's when God orders your steps, isn't it? And that's, that's patience. When, and I, the whole point of me saying that was, as I said to my wife, think of the amount of uh, all the prophets that God sent to Israel and all the prophets that Israel killed. Can you, I mean, Jesus said that. You know, you, I, you know, you've killed the prophets. And you've killed the prophets. And God kept sending prophets. God never gave up on Israel. When Israel was just, you know, but we give up on people so easily. You know, what are prophets? Prophets, you know, these Amazing. preachers. These okay. were like these Old Testament men of God that that had the message of God for the people of God, and they they also wrote scripture. and And so the second thing, the second outward fruit, the first one is patience. The second one, the second and the third are kind of similar with each other, but um, there's a slight difference. The second one is kindness, and kindness is mercy in action. You know what mercy is? Mercy is we don't, we, we don't get what we deserve. That's mercy. You're not getting what you deserve. You know when the judge says, you know, I remember, I'll quickly tell you a story. I remember being in Baltimore, and our church is in a 25-mile-an-hour zone, and we were coming back from outreach, and I was driving up the hill, and I was doing 42 miles an hour. Everybody else was doing 40, 42, so I was just riding with the pack. Got to the top of the hill, and there was just all these policemen there and they were pulling everybody over just pulling everybody over and um, you know we got this big ticket so I went to court to dispute it you know ask, I plead mercy from the judge and uh, I said to him you know I plead I, I'm, I'm here to plead the, plead the mercy of the court or something like that is that what you're supposed to say I don't remember what you're supposed to say but and they said we are we are waiving the ticket because we have found that the police were being um they were being unfair and they were ganging up on people because the 25 mile an hour sign was just on the top of the hill just as you crest the hill you see it and then you hit the radar so you're coming off of a very fast road etc so we got so mercy I didn't get what I what I deserved I deserved it but in this case mercy was shown because because of a higher factor in the matter and that was um, in that case uh, police dishonesty and so kindness is mercy in action when God acts towards us in mercy. And what does that do? It gives us the ability to serve other people in a practical way. And you know what kindness does? It makes you vulnerable, doesn't it? When you exercise kindness and you don't give somebody what they deserve, you're making yourself vulnerable, aren't you? And we don't like that. You know, we don't like vulnerability. We're, we're creatures of you know, protection. We don't like to be made vulnerable. And it makes us kind of feel uncomfortable, too. Like, you know, if somebody says to you, you know, you shouldn't be so kind to that person. They're going to take advantage of you. But maybe God is telling you to be kind in a certain situation, to exercise kindness in a situation where they don't deserve something. And sometimes in church circumstances and, you know, the churches that I've pastored, 
Uh, there have been situations where there are people that come that have taken advantage of people in the church. And, you know, the first thing that the natural mind wants to say is don't be kind to them. They're going to take advantage, you know. But the mercy of God is, is, that, is that we exercise kindness, not in naivety, but in wisdom and in discernment. But we exercise kindness. Why? Because mercy, God rejoices in mercy and not in judgment. And does that mean that we are a lawless church? And then sometimes people will say to us, you know, you're a lawless church. You know, you guys are lawless. You guys need to lay down the law more. And, uh, and for some people, it's not okay that, you know, that we're not the high court uh, throwing people in jail. Uh, sometimes people come to the church. We find this, I'm an elder in Baltimore, and sometimes people come to the church and they want us to, be, to take the place of the court system. You know, they want us to enforce the laws in the sense of like, well, you know, so-and-so got in trouble and they're, you know, and they're not allowed in certain places. And you're allowing them in the church. Well, we're allowing them in the church because we're not the court system. This is where they're going to get help. So um, kindness is really mercy in action. Is when we exercise kindness. And when we exercise kindness, you know what happens? God loves mercy. And we can talk about this at another time, but there's the law of mercy in the book of Judge, uh, James. And that means that when I exercise mercy, do you know what that does? God, because he loves mercy more than judgment, is actually merciful to me. You know, there are certain things that you and I are not going to experience in our life because we're merciful people. But if we choose not to be merciful and to exact judgment that's due and rightfully so due to people, then that's going to come back on us because what we sow, we reap. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's the law of mercy. I was biking the other day and uh, it was like 100 degrees and I was just... Just, I'm out of my mind, but I was just biking. And uh, it's not that hot when you're biking because of the airflow, but I stopped and I was resting. And there was only one shady tree, you know. So I pulled over there. I, I sat down. I was drinking my, my juice there that I had with me. And there was a lady that was, you know, it was the beginning of a driveway, and it was kind of up a ways. And she was, like, doing this to me. And she didn't want me on her property. I mean, I was on the corner of the road, you know. On the corner of the road, you know, right next to the curb, and that was like the only shady spot. And I just thought, you know, it, I just thought about this woman. I thought, how small is her world? Because she can't exercise just one aspect of simple kindness. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to live here. I just need to be here for maybe 10 minutes just to cool down. And I wanted to, like, you know, I wanted to tell her something, and I wanted to give her a piece of my mind. I wanted to actually, then I thought, that wouldn't be the Christian thing. And I thought, well, maybe I should tell her, like, you know, I actually had a thought. I thought, I thought maybe I should tell her that you would be a lot happier of a person if you were nicer, kinder, you know. But I didn't say that either because that wouldn't have been merciful. But and then number number three, the third outward fruit is goodness. And how does goodness and kindness differ? You know, it's one of these words that we read in the Bible that is very similar to one, but has its differences. And goodness really can also be translated in the Bible as integrity. And it basically means that I am not being merciful in action, but I'm being gracious in action. So kindness is mercy in action. I'm not giving people what they deserve. But goodness is I'm giving people what they don't deserve. And that's another, that's goodness. That's the goodness of God when I'm being generous. 
That's another way we can live our lives. I mean, we can live our life in a generous way because we are rich inside. Or we can be like a really shriveled up spiritual prune and we don't give anything out to... We're not a generous person. You know, I always like to give more than I'm asked for because that's the way, that's what I've received. You know, people have been very generous to me in my life. They've given more to me than I've actually needed. And I just have been a recipient of just a lot of generosity and great times of need in my life. And when we pass on that goodness, when we pass on grace in action, you know what God says? God says, you know what? I can trust this person and give them more because they're going to be a good steward of it and they're going to give it out. And you know, when we receive a blessing from God and we keep it to ourselves, God says, you know what? They're not a good investor. You know, they're not a good investor. And, and until they give it out, they don't have any more room to receive anything more. And I think that a fruit of the spirit of goodness is when we are, when, we're, when it's grace in action, where we're giving people something that they don't deserve. And when we live like that, God gives us more. And the Bible says that there's a principle in the book of Luke that to the measure we give is the measure that God gives back to us. And I'm not talking about, you know, the, 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 the abuse of the teaching that we find in some Christian churches. Well, if you give a million bucks to the church or if you give your inheritance to the church, then you're going to get twice as much. I don't know, you know. We don't ask people to do that. But some churches ask you to do that. They will ask you for those kind of things. And you know something? When we live in goodness, we give what God has given us. Then you know something? We make room for more. And, uh, you know, that's the difference between a grace Christian and just a Christian. You know, just, a, a, just somebody who believes in God. Um, that's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, if they ask you to go with them, what? One mile. Go with them. How many miles? Two? Two. If they ask you for um, your shirt, give them, I mean, if they ask you for, their, for your coat, give them your shirt sure. also. Uh, if they strike you on one cheek, give them two cheeks. What is the whole point there? The whole point's bigger than coats and shirts and, and cheeks. The point there is, is that if we are people that give more than what we are required to give, then there is, and you know, the universalists call it the universal law of generosity, but it's bigger than that. If you give more than what you're asked for, then you know what that does? It puts God in a place where like, look, you know, now he's empty. I've got to fill him. Mm-hmm. And this is important that we think this way, that, that, um, that with our finances and, and, and in the way we, the way we live our lives, and, uh, there's a lot of power in gracious giving. And it, and it really changes people. And it may not see it in the beginning, but... Um, and I just finished this fruit with this. That have you ever been given, like, a major gift? Something that's just, like, so big for you that it's given you a lot of capacity to give the same way to somebody else. For example, somebody gave us a car when we moved back from overseas. You know, we were... My wife and I were married for five years, and we had nothing. We just had, like, like eight bags to our name. That was it. And we were coming back from overseas, and somebody bought us a car, fixed it up for us, and got it running. And I was just so amazed that somebody would do that. Well, in six months, the transmission died, and we had to spend three grand on it. But I was just so amazed that somebody would give us a car. And so there was a certain situation where um, 
someone needed a car in our church, and we had the possibility to give a car to someone, and so that we did that. We we had a car that we owned that was paid off, and we said, "Look, we're just going to give this to you," and we gave it to them. Why? Because somebody did that to us, and so when we give out of goodness and out of grace and action, then there's always this richness that comes into our life as a Christian. And and then lastly, so we have the inward love, joy, peace, the outward patience, kindness, and goodness. These are outward qualities. These are outward uh, fruits. And then lastly are the Godward, inward, outward, and Godward. These are fruits that are, are, are expressed to God in God's direction, Godward. And the first one is, in the King James, it says faithfulness, right? Mm-hmm. But actually, I'd like to, I'd like to differ on the, that translation. I would like to say because in the Greek it's pistis, which basically says faith. It doesn't say faithfulness, although it does refer to being faithful. It's a, it is just faith. That fruit there, the the the, the seventh fruit is faith. It's a fruit of faith, and actually, when we exercise faith to God's word towards God then um, uh, we are characterized as a faithful steward in Luke 16, verses 10 through 12, and a person that has the fruit of faith is a person that um, is a witness and just walks by faith in their life. And that's just, you know... There, there's two ways that we can uh, we can analyze our, our life, either by human rationalization or human rationale, like you know, like we can approach life in a very algebraic way or a very calculating way, like you know, if I do this and this, and I'll get that, you know, or we can exercise faith that if I take a step of faith and get involved with the worship team, just for example, then. Then in some way God will God will be faithful to help me not be so nervous. That's just a very simple example. But sometimes we hear the word of God and we feel a challenge. We're like, you know what? Wow, you know, I'm hearing the word, and it makes me want to step out in faith in a certain area of my life. Maybe it's a, it's an action or an or an act of some kind. And when we hear the word of God and we mix faith with it, then we can step out in faith. It's like Peter walking on the water. Peter stepped out on the water because Jesus said, come. And I like that because Peter's life is very real. He sank in the water, which many of us do. (laughs) We sink when we take steps of faith. But that's really part of the walk of faith. If Peter walked in the water, walked all around the water, and then walked back to the boat, I don't know if I'd be so encouraged by that. Mm -hmm. Peter walked in the water and then sank, which was very encouraging me to hear that, okay, Jesus is walking in the water. Peter's walking in the water. Peter sinks in the water because... He's a human being. But what happens in the end? Bottom line, Jesus pulls him up. And so faith towards God is a fruit. Um, the, the eighth fruit is gentleness. And um, this really is relates to humility. Um, and one commentator describes it as self-forgetfulness which describes a person who is in so much, who is just so aware of God and so much aware of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is doing, 
that he actually is angry at the things that God is angry at. And he is like Moses, who was, who was really praised for being the gentlest or meekness, meekest man among his contemporaries in, in Numbers 12, verse 3. Now, this is very interesting. Look at Moses. Moses is called what? The meekest man, right, that ever lived? Numbers 12, verse 3. But let's look at his, let's look at his life. Was he a meek man? He was an angry guy. He had anger problems. He broke the tables of, he broke the table, the Ten Commandment tables. He smashed them. God wrote them with his finger. Moses was so upset at the behavior of the people, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, that he smashed the first set of tablets of stone. I mean, that's, you know, imagine a preacher walking in here and, I'm so upset at what's going on in people's lives that he just starts smashing chairs over the pulpit. I mean, that was the level that Moses was at. I mean, I hope I'm not exaggerating this. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. But, I mean, Moses was, you know, Moses was a guy that had to deal with his anger. He had an anger issue. But what does the Bible say about him? The Bible doesn't say Moses was the angriest of the prophets. It doesn't say that. It said that Moses was the meekest man. Why? Because Moses understood how to live in the meekness of God towards him when he was an angry person. And so, here's another example of spiritual fruit. It doesn't mean that I'm a professional meek person, you know, that I'm always meek and walking around in a meek personality and I'm soft-spoken and I don't interrupt people. And, you know, that's not meekness. That's more of a personality behavioral modification. But... But Moses, being an angry man, got victory over that. And he had moments of great victory. And this is what God wanted to focus on. And this is the finished work, that, that, that Moses was the, meek, the meekest man. And you know what meekness means? It just means it's really what one commentator says, that self-forgetfulness. Meekness is something that I ex- ex- exercise towards God. It's different than patience towards people, because that's patience. Patience is with people. Meekness is towards God. And meekness is when I just say, you know what, I'm not the issue here. You know, you know, I'm not the issue here. You know, maybe, I don't know. Let me just try to think of an, something that doesn't apply to us. You know, but maybe. I can get angry, but I'm not entitled to it. Um, that is I can angry. Yeah, I can get angry. Right, I can so get I'm angry at going, things. I'm not going to get angry at God. Um, you know, because I'm angry in the situation. You know, or with circumstances. It's like in Ephesians. Where's that verse in Ephesians? Be angry and sin not. Is that Ephesians five? Be angry and sin not. Yeah, he had right. There were moments when he reacted anger in anger, but then there were moments where he was very angry because of the right purpose. He was very angry. You know what that means? Be angry and sin not. That means that when when we see a temptation, you know what that means? Think of the end of that temptation. Think about the destruction. Think about the sadness and the regret and the pain and the guilt. And then it makes you angry. It's like, you know what? That makes me angry. That, you know, that people, they drink. And then at the end, they're just like, you know, respectable people are out of their... I don't know if you've ever seen a respectable person that you respect in the world and then they're intoxicated. That for me is just so, that makes me so angry. 
that happened to me in a family situation not too long ago, like not in the church, but visiting family. And somebody in my family got, you know, got intoxi- a little intoxicated and they just weren't themselves. And I just, I got so upset about that. I was so angry because, you know, want, alcohol, wine is a mocker. That's what the Bible says. And, and you know, that's, and you know, I grew up with so much alcohol around me as a kid, I was so angry at it. I just said, you know, I'm never going to drink. I'm never going to touch the stuff. And I wasn't even a Christian, a Christian at the time. And, you know, I think we can be angry about things, and that prevents us from going down that road. You know, angry about drug addiction or uh, prescription medication, uh, you know, what that does. You know, kids, you know what they're doing now? They're prescribing Oxycontin to kids. Did you hear that? I mean, what? I don't know. They're, like, in pain or something. I mean, I just saw this on the news the other day. They're like injuries, you know, sports injuries, or to the anger turns to sadness. Yeah, it turns to sadness. Because you were angry, and then you got sad. Yeah, that's right. I was angry, and then I got sad, and and you know, and that's the right kind of anger. And then lastly, lastly, and this is what we spoke about. This is what we spoke about this morning. Is self-control, and that's the ninth fruit. Uh, actually, the King James calls it temperance being tempered you know don't lose your temper right back in the day they used to say that our parents used to tell us don't lose your temper or your ability to temper yourself or your temperance well it's self-control but actually a better translation of the word from the greek is because it's made up of two words uh krateia which means power and the prefix is eg which is egg or from ego or self and it basically means that i have power of myself and I was thinking this past week, and I'll just close with this, is that we said it this morning that people don't live with power over themselves because they have no purpose. They have no reason. Like, why do I want to be disciplined in my life? What am I disciplining myself for, you know? For example, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25, he said that, he said that um, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 9, these two verses, one of them talks about the athlete that disciplines himself and what he eats and how he exercises and how he's training every day and you know he's not out partying with his buddies because he's out there he's got a disciplined why because there's a purpose in his mind and it's an earthly purpose but his purpose is the gold medal he is thinking about the gold medal and so everything in his life is 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 disciplined so that he can get that gold medal in the believer's life it's different. We have a purpose in our life, and our purpose is, is that uh, our purpose is so much higher than the world's purpose that it gives us it gives us a sense of self control and a sense of like, you know, as a Christian, there are things that maybe are, are okay for me to do, but I'm not going to do them because it would create uh, it would create an atmosphere of carelessness for people that are that are that have a uh, you know like maybe a tendency towards those kinds of things. Um, you know, self-control means that um, uh, that I'm reser- I've reserved myself for the, I reserve my, my thoughts, my energy, and my activity for things that are that have a higher purpose. For example, I'm not going to be, you know, if I'm, you know, if I am going to be um, Suppose I want to be. Oh, suppose I want to go on a mission trip. This is just for me personally. You know, maybe I want to go on a mission trip somewhere. 
And so maybe there are certain things that I can't buy because I'm saving my money for that. You know, I have a purpose. Or, you know, um, maybe I'm planning to go to church Sunday morning, so I can't be out until, you know, whatever, 3 o'clock in the morning with my buddies or whatever. You know, because I, I have, I'm doing, I want, I have a purpose in the morning, you know. Um, uh, you know what I'm talking about. It's that we have a purpose in our life that is, that is giving us power to have something that's bigger than our self-enjoyment. And I'll close with this, is that in our American society, we've really been blessed by God. And the creed in our Constitution talks about the pursuit of happiness and self-determination. And, you know, we really have been blessed, and I think that makes a lot of countries very jealous, and um, we've been very blessed. And Paul said that there are many things that he could do, but they are not beneficial for him. And what he meant by that was is that Paul could have lived the Roman lifestyle, you know, the games and, you know, the endless entertainment and all of these things that the Roman citizen could freely do. But he didn't do that because he he had a greater purpose in his life and he wanted to reserve his energy for that. Um, Like, if I don't have a purpose as a Christian, then I'm going to be all over the place. I'm going to be... You know, I'm going to be so diffused. I'm not going to have any concentration in my life. I'm not going to have, you know, I'm going to be like, well, what does that matter? Like, why why do I want to, like, you know, why do I want to, um, uh, you know, why do I want to live healthy, you know, because I'm going to die anyway? Well, I personally, as a pastor, I want to be healthy because I want to live as long as I can to serve God in this body, you know. That's just my... Not everybody has to think that way. But there are certain things that in our life that, that if we have a purpose, the eternal purpose of God, which may be like, you know what? Um, uh, I, want to, uh, I want to free up time in my schedule. Maybe not make as much money, but free up some of my time on my schedule so that I can minister to people's needs or visit folks at Charter Arms or do this or do that. You know what I'm saying? There are things, there are people at this table here that could be doing other things with their time on a Sunday night, but they're not. They're, we're here because we have a, a purpose, and that purpose is that, that, that Old Testament picture, which is the showbread, which is, you know, we're here because we want to fellowship with God. We want to get answers. We want the bread of life, which is Matthew 4, verse 4, the, the Word of God, and that's why we're here, and that's our purpose. You know, if I go to church and I'm not getting anything from the messages long term, what's that going to do to my purpose? I'm going to become like another typical Laodicean Christian that has no purpose in his life. That, you know, as soon as the amen is, I'm out the door. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to go and, you know, uh, don't bother me about midweek stuff because, you know, I got my own. You know, we're busy people. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that, like, I'm not. I don't. I'm not trying to condemn people. I'm just saying that that uh, I can be a Christian where it's all about me, or and my entertainment and what I what like what what um, what Christine said. It could be about my entitlement, what I'm entitled to as a Christian, or it can be about really what is God's will in my life. You know. So with that, we can just close and and. Uh, um, 
Because in normal religion, the, mo- the motivation for self-control is based on fear, right? You better not do that or God's going to get you. <laughs> That's not the gospel. You know what I'm saying? It's not the gospel. So, amen. So, 